It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. And what's up, everybody? Welcome in. Wes Mitchell here. Chris Clark. Live on a Friday afternoon. It is GC Live. Everybody's already throwing up their beer mugs in the chat. So I can tell uh, the weekend is upon us. And Chris, we have got an easy show today because there is absolutely no shortage of things to talk about in game cognition. If you're a sports fan, if you're a South Carolina sports fan, um, dude, this, this weekend is loaded. Um, if you're a South Carolina sports fan and a Major League Baseball fan, then you had opening day yesterday as well, opening weekend this weekend. Uh, you're set. So um, should be a great weekend. Hopefully it will be a great show. And as always, this show is brought to you by our good friend. He is Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. Check him out, clinthammond.com, 803-771-6933. Clint runs the Mortgage Network right here in Columbia, South Carolina, across from Dreer High School if you're in the market for a new home or uh, maybe you just want to refinance your current home and get yourself in a little bit better situation, lower interest rate, maybe save a little bit of money, then Clint is your guy. Um, I've known Clint actually for, shoot, man, five, six, seven years now. So I can absolutely vouch for Clint, a friend of mine, friend of the show, friend of Gamecock Central, and a huge Gamecock fan. Again, ClintHammond.com, he is our presenting sponsor here on GC Live. Chris, um, and you're, by the way, Chris will be – will not be joining us next week. He's going to be out of town. So, dude, I, between the sports this weekend and an upcoming vacation, you, you've you got to be pumped up over there. I'm pretty pumped up. I'm, I'm trying to – I think the excitement will hit a little bit more once I can uh, actually get ready to, to go. But uh, as you know, there's a lot to do right before that happens. But, yeah, until then, going to enjoy – Uh, A big sports weekend, obviously a lot to look at, a lot to cover this weekend. Easter weekend, obviously, spending some family time. So it's going to be a fun and busy weekend for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Um, So, dude, we've got commitment of Grayson Maines, the offensive lineman from Georgia, that coming out uh, last night, uh, Thursday night, for those who maybe are listening to this, you know, at some point later on in the weekend. Several South Carolina football players, this this will probably get lost in the shuffle, but maybe we'll have a chance to talk about it. Several guys talking yesterday, some offensive players talking yesterday. First time for um, for several fans to hear from Colton Gothier, who actually I, I, I tweeted the link. We, we'd heard a lot of that from Colton already when we had him on our show during uh, you know signing day, but no surprise, he handled that situation very well. Uh, baseball, with obviously a three-game SEC series this weekend, at Georgia, which will be an interesting test for them. We'll, of course, have Colin Taylor on, as we do every single Friday, 2.20 p.m. or so. Um, And then I saved the biggest and best for last in that South Carolina women's basketball tonight at the Final Four. That is a 6 p.m. tip-off, ESPN, South Carolina versus number one overall seed, Stanford, in what what will be their – I think certainly their toughest test of the tournament so far, maybe even arguably their toughest test of the entire season. So um, that will be fun. That will be intense. Hopefully South Carolina fans are able to get off work and get home, um, maybe sit down, might even be a two-screen experience type type day. Um, maybe put the, the women's basketball team on the big screen, maybe put the baseball team on the iPad or the, the smaller screen. 
and, and then go from there. But um, Chris, have, have you? It was interesting. I was reading some of our our stories on Gamecock Central. Chris Wellbaum again does an outstanding job um, breaking down the the absolute latest uh, on women's basketball and getting you ready. It, it's interesting to me how um, when you have when you have a coach like Don Staley, who is so um, has such a lifelong connection in women's basketball, how many of these coaches that South Carolina ends up going up against that there is some long ingrained connection with with all of them, and um, you know when it in, in a great great article again you can read this on Gamecock Central. Um, Final four matchup pits mentor against mentee. Stanford's uh, Tara um, Vanderveer, there's a long history there. Uh, Staley and her have, have played against each other. They've been on the same coaching staff together. And uh, there's actually a long standing tie here with Don Staley and Stanford a- as a program. Uh, Don Staley being eliminated as a player from the final four twice by Stanford. Um, South Carolina uh, with Don Staley as, as its coach being defeated by Stanford at one point, but then South Carolina with Don Staley as their coach defeating Stanford on the way to the school's long national championship in 2017. So um, you had the, the Vic Schaefer connection last week or earlier this week, I should say last game you had um, the connection with Georgia Tech's coach and Don Staley longstanding connection there. And now you have a, another deep tie here. So uh, not just a game. This is a uh, – there are some threads that run underneath uh, the actual game on the court. The thing that really stood out to me uh, with Don Staley talking about Tara Vanderveer from Stanford was um, – and, and to give full credit, I, I heard – actually heard the audio of it on 107.5 listening to, uh, to Pearson and Preston today on, on my car ride. And – The thing that stood out was she said that when Temple offered her the coaching job, remember, Dawn was literally playing in the WNBA when Temple offered her the head coaching job. So she did both of them at the same time, which is just wild to me. Um, But they offered her that job. She said that she called Tara Vandermeer and asked her, what do you think? You know, or here's what's going on. And she said that Tara said, don't do it. And so she said she immediately took the job because she said that she's somebody who has to carry a chip on her shoulder, has to have somebody basically say, don't do that or you can't do that. And for her, it was almost a validation to do it. And so um, it, it, it was just sort of interesting hearing her talk about that. But but you're right. I mean, Dawn has had obviously there were some um, some tough moments, you know, going up against that program. And she's known Vandeveer for a really long time but then we're able to get that redemption. And now here's another opportunity. And Wes, this Stanford team, I mean, people talk about, you know, when you talk about the, the blue bloods of women's college basketball, South Carolina is now in that conversation, obviously. But a lot of the talk in this tournament has centered around UConn, Paige Beckers, for good reason. But this Stanford team, man, is really, really good. They're 29-2. and two. They've won 18 straight games. Their only two losses this year, they lost an overtime game at Colorado in overtime, and then they lost a game by four points to UCLA, who's number six. Oh, and by the way, they ended up beating that same UCLA team in the Pac-12 tournament championship by 20 points. So they and and you know they they fairly they've dispatched everybody in the tournament so far. They're they're you know lowest margin of victory was an 11 point win over Oklahoma state in the second round. So they've, um, they've certainly done a, they're a really, really good team. And so I agree with you. Is this going to be the stiffest test for South Carolina? Yeah. And, you know, I, I looking back on that South Carolina UConn matchup earlier, which UConn ended up winning, you know, in OT, I left that game saying on a neutral site, you know, like if those teams played 10 times, I, I kind of like South Carolina's chances, honestly. So, um, you know, that that would be the only other game, at least on paper, you'd probably say, um, you know, that would be the closest thing to this test since obviously UConn is, is in the Final Four as well. And uh, 
most people project will, you know, they'll beat Arizona and, and be on their way to, to potentially meet South Carolina on Sunday. So yeah, it's going to be a great matchup. I, I thought it was interesting. I was looking on ESPN just for sort of, uh, you know, the, the sort of stat breakdown and, um, on ESPN's preview for South Carolina and Stanford, it's it's produced by something called a data scribe, I think, which has to be, I believe, an automated story because um, one of the sentences was uh, Stanford heads into the matchup. They're scoring an average of 78.9 points per game, so 79 points a game. That's 21 points more then South Carolina gives up this season. So South Carolina defensively is only allowing 57.8 points a game. Well, the next sentence, Chris, was the Cardinal are 29-2 and two in games where they score 58 points. So that's every single one that's of their game. game. Right, yeah. So basically South Carolina's defense, their average allowed – you know, Stanford has scored more than that, probably well more than that, every yep. single game they have played this year. So it will be interesting to see what gives there, uh, you know, between South Carolina's defense and a, a Stanford offense that has probably been pretty consistent, um, you know, th- throughout the year. The The other side of this, uh, South Carolina averages 75.8 points. Stanford gives up just 53.4 Similar situation when South Carolina reaches the 53-point mark. It is 26-3, and three, so that's every game except one um, this year as well. So uh, Patrick wants to know what would be the keys for Carolina to win this game. Um, and I'll, we're going to have Colin Taylor on actually in about seven minutes. I want to sort of tie him into the, the women's basketball preview as well. Obviously, Colin's going to be talking some baseball. Um, you know, I think – and I'll readily admit – I'm not the guy to dive into this for y'all and and say this key matchup versus that key matchup is going to be the sort of like in-depth type breakdown or analysis on this. So I'll go big picture. I I think for South Carolina, it's more about, you know, just not really letting the moment get to you because this is a a group of ladies that, you know, are now – I. I sure you're probably comfortable playing in the tournament at this point. They have, you know, now that you've gone a few rounds, but all these sophomores South Carolina has, Chris, they were not afforded the opportunity to compete for the title last year because of the pandemic. And, you know, they would have gone into last year, we believe being the favorite to, you know, to win the title. Well, but you would have been led by Kiki Herbert Harrigan, by Ty Harris and the pressure would have been on them, but they've, you know, they've done this. They've played. Well, there's going to be a little extra butterflies in the stomach. There's going to be a little extra tightness going into the beginning of this game. For me, the key for South Carolina will just be to play within themselves. Forget about the fact you're in the Final Four and just go execute and do what you do. Because early on against Texas, you look, you know, the game on Tuesday – South Carolina came out and just executed. Um, was it a perfectly played game? No. Did they have some moments in the second and third quarters where there were some lapses? Yes. But they were dominant to start and they were dominant to finish. Um, there's no way they're going to dominate Stanford the way they did Texas. But come out, don't let the moment be too big is sort of my my big picture key for, for South Carolina going into this. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, and there's, you know, whatever you want to attribute it to, I, I think maybe just the nerves and not having been there. We saw in the first few games of this tournament, um, the slow starts for South Carolina. And, and there could be a lot of things that have gone into that. But certainly it looked like it took them a little while to get their bearings in, in each of those games, from game one to game two, game three. It took some time. Against Texas, it was much different. Like you said, they got off to a great start. Um, you know, Victoria Saxton right away making several buckets to open that game. Each time Texas later would try to come back, they were able to slam the door, make some big plays, which I think showed maturity as well. So it could be, Wes, that they have sort of matured and grown even throughout this tournament. And and that's the key, you know, playing your best ball at, at the most opportune time, which is obviously the tournament. 
Um, but that said, Stanford's a team that um, can mess up your best laid plants and South Carolina, same for them. I mean, you just pointed out the stats. Both of these teams are allowing far less than, you know, opponent averages um, in this game. And, and Stanford has, you know, on paper, the more dynamic you know, offense and they can shoot from outside. They have several people who can hurt you from three. I think they're shooting 38% as a team uh, from behind the arc. So I think for South Carolina, the key is I agree with you, you know, come out get off to a good start, dominate in the paint as you have been limit turnovers, get some outside shots to hit and, and definitely prevent Stanford from doing the same hitting outside shots. All right. As I said, we're going to be joined shortly by Colin Taylor, our beat writer on Gamecock central. So before we get to Colin and like I said, we're going to circle back. We're going to get his take on women's basketball. We'll get his take um, on baseball, of course, and maybe a little football talk as well. But before we get to that, Chris, let's go ahead before we miss it and just go off the rails and talk about a bunch of other things. Let's talk about the commitment of Grayson Maines, three-star offensive lineman for South Carolina, commits to the Gamecocks over Tennessee and Michigan State yesterday. This is something that I would say, um, you know, you, you never know, right? Recruiting is always fluid, but was uh, was pretty well anticipated. We felt like South Carolina was in good shape, and, um, you know, they, they had a, a visit, or he took a visit that was sort of the, the self-guided personal visits where, you know, kids are going around and going on trips by themselves. He, um, you know, they can't see the coaching staff. They can still see the campus. He obviously has already set his official visit for June 11th, and then decided to go ahead and, and make his pledge to South Carolina on, uh, you know, on Thursday night. So uh, y- your thoughts, Chris, on the second commitment for the 2022 class for the Gamecocks? Well, this is a, a situation where South Carolina got it wrapped up pretty quickly. You know, uh, he was offered on February 1st. He was quickly a target that Greg Adkins, the new O-line coach, identified uh, upon getting to Columbia. There were a handful of offers that he dispensed. So Grayson Maines was one and quickly became a top target and um, you know, South Carolina worked its way into the mix. He cut it down, sort of a three, like you said, Wes, with, with Tennessee, South Carolina, Michigan State. And really what put it over the top was this past weekend, um, that self-guided tour, getting to see some of the athletic stuff just from the outside because, of course, you can't go in the stadium right now, in the ops building, checking out some of the academic stuff. It was really comfortable with that. And so from what we heard and from some circumstantial evidence, like the fact that said he might come back for the spring game. He scheduled an official visit, which is his only one. He got the feel, and, and we got the, had sort of the info that South Carolina would look to be in good shape. So he actually wrapped it up a little bit sooner than we anticipated, went ahead and popped the commitment last night. But a nice pickup for South Carolina, a guy that they seem to really like up front. And, you know, another piece in this 2022 class, we've expected a lot more activity, you know, this summer as far as visits and, uh, with things reopening, commitments, things of that nature. But this is a nice get during spring ball for South Carolina. Since joining the South Carolina staff, this is Greg Atkins' first commitment and uh, a guy, obviously, that, that he was high on and that he liked a lot. Uh, we're going to go out here to Colin Taylor here shortly. Real quick, Chris, I know you talked to uh, to Maine's coach a little bit. Um, give us a little quick uh, – little quick summary, little quick scouting report on what the Gamecocks are getting. Yeah, I think the two main things that he said was that, you know, Grayson moves real well in space. I asked him positionally where he may profile given his size, and he thought that he's fully capable of playing tackle at the next level because of those movement skills in space. Um, but he also said, you know, he was just – described him as sort of a student of the game, a guy that, you know, is a couple steps ahead of the opposition, um, really knows – has a high football IQ and a really good kid, so – that's sort of how he broke down Grayson's game. Again, the uh, second commitment for South Carolina class of 2022 will, of course, have uh, – there, there's actually more on him. If you're a Gamecock Central subscriber, go check that out. Inside the commitment, Chris giving you a little breakdown, a little bit more in-depth breakdown of his game. Joined now, as promised, Colin Taylor. Colin rocking his Cubs hat today. Um, I don't know why he'd want to wear that, but we'll, uh, we'll leave that along. That's for another day. Uh, we got a lot to get to, a lot to talk about. First, Colin, before we get to baseball, Chris and I were talking a little bit about this uh, women's basketball matchup. Final four tonight, South Carolina-Stanford, arguably the Gamecocks' toughest test of the year so far, and it uh, should, should be a good game. I, I know South Carolina's going to back down from no one. 
They are a little bit of an underdog right now if you look at the Vegas lines. Um, but somebody was asking us, Colin, so I'll ask you, what are your keys for South Carolina uh, tonight in this matchup with Stanford? Well, first of all, I'd like to say the Cubs and Braves have the same number of wins after one game. So uh, <laughs> um, A grand total of zero combined. Yeah, is that right? combined wins, zero. They have as many wins as we do um, <laughs> combined between us. So, uh, yeah, from the women's basketball perspective, they're going to have to stop Stanford from shooting threes. Uh, Brie Beal is the – I mean, we have a story up Chris Walbaum does right now about her being the glue girl, and uh, I agree that if she can come out and play the defense that she's capable of playing. And um, they do what they did to Texas where they hold them scoreless in the first quarter, in the last quarter, and then seven points in the first quarter. Um, you have a good chance to win. Gamecocks have been – really good defensively um, over stretches this season. So I think if they continue to do that and, and they have the post players to, I mean, compete with really anybody in the country uh, with Leah Boston and Leticia Amahir, I think that's how you say her name. Um, they have a chance to compete with really anybody. And if you get good guard play from Destiny Henderson and Zaya Cook and um, Littleton, then that South Carolina has a really good chance of winning. I think it's going to be a great game of, two teams that know what they're about, know their identities and um, want to impose their will on the other teams. Yeah. Well, Colin, if they hold Stanford to no points in the fourth quarter, and I will buy you, I'll buy you Cubs season tickets this year and airfare. (laughs) Yeah. I I don't think that's going to happen, but um, should, you know, should be a great matchup. I I think could, could come, come down to the fourth quarter and and we'll see, you know, I, I think, South Carolina is not going to back down from anyone. I, I do hope, uh, I, I got to admit, y'all, I am like um, locked into the Don Staley pregame uh, speech. I know last, or on Tuesday, the last game, they posted that on the on the official Twitter for Gamecocks women, Women's Basketball. And I just had, I just thought to myself, I was like, Don Staley is literally born to, to do this. Like she was born to play basketball at a high level. She was also born to coach and to push the right buttons and to give speeches like that. And uh, that'll be cool to see what she has to say tonight. And uh, we'll see if South Carolina can pull it off. Uh, So Colin, let's switch to baseball and uh, a trip to Georgia, which to me feels like one of those weekends where you say, okay, things are, things let up a little bit. You, You know, if you're South Carolina, you played at Texas, at Vandy, Florida at home. But if you, in this case, if you're South Carolina, if you let up at all, then you end up coming back to Columbia, basically having lost two of three, I, I feel like. Because it on paper, yes, not quite as talented as, as the team South Carolina has faced. In reality, still very capable of beating you. And uh, some really, at least statistically, Georgia has three pitchers that have performed very well this year as far as their three starters go. Yeah, and it's historically a place that South Carolina hasn't played well. Um, I think the last time they went to Athens and won was 2010. Um, They haven't won a series against Georgia since 2013. So uh, you're talking about the Georgia team that's, number one, has been good the last couple years. Uh, They're not as good as they have been in previous years with Emerson Hancock anchoring your Friday night rotation, but they're a good team with really good pitching and um, a very weird ballpark that South Carolina has not done well at. I mean, they, Georgia recruits well to that ballpark to get guys that could, I think the right field fence is probably like 75 feet from home, you know, home plate. It feels like sometimes, I mean, it's a short porch out there. Um, so it's, you need to go down there and, put on a good show because these are some very winnable games over this next stretch. You got Georgia this week and then home from Missouri next week. Um, these are very winnable games, teams that are on paper that you're better than. And if you go you know, and win these next two, you're in a good spot entering what is murderer's row in your schedule. So uh, big series for South Carolina just to try and stockpile some more wins and keep this positive momentum, especially offensively going. Yeah, just looking back, I think I'd seen a stat that you know, just about how poor South Carolina's record was against Georgia. And I think the last two seasons, those being, of course, 19 and 18, two sweeps, yeah. is that right, by Georgia uh, for South Carolina. So, obviously, need to 
get back to the winning ways for the Gamecocks. Colin, t- give us a scouting report on, on this Georgia team. I mean, what Wes mentioned the, the rotation, but give us a sense of what type of team this is, pitching, depth, uh, hitting, you know, and just what to expect out of this team. Yeah, it's a team that has some good pitching. Um, I think they start – my memory serves. I'm, I'm looking at it now, but um, they start with the lefties in their rotation. Um, so it works really well for a South Carolina team that has a lot of right-handed hitters in their lineup. Um, so they're going to have a chance to face some, in terms of just matchups, good pitching. Um, and an offense that's kind of been up and down. They've had moments of good. They've had moments of bad. I mean, as a team, Georgia's hitting 282, which is five points higher than South Carolina right now. But um, just it, it's an offense that's very streaky. They don't hit for a lot of power. Uh, they don't get on base very as frequently as South Carolina does. So it's not a group that's going to be able to um, do as much, uh, put as much pressure on a team quite like South Carolina could or South Carolina's had the last couple weeks. And um, if you're South Carolina, you hope that your pitching of far Jordan and then either Sanders or Carrick more than likely um, kind of step up and hold that offense in check and you can get enough runs to, to put Georgia away, especially against two lefties. Yeah, you mentioned the it's TBA again on Sunday. Uh, imagine it will be a similar sort of track to what we saw last week. That being, if if you use Brett Carey, if you have an opportunity to win games, uh, you know, Friday or Saturday, you're going to use Brett Carey. Um, if you don't use him, then you know you start him on on Sunday and make sure that he at least gets to make an impact each series. I think that's absolutely the right call, smart way to go about it, but. Um, it's, it's pretty easy, Colin, I feel like, to make that call when you know you have a uh, freshman budding stud like, uh, like Will Sanders. You, you don't, you're not forced to just say Brett Carey's the Sunday guy. You, you sort of have the flexibility to pitch him where he is needed most, where he can make the biggest impact. Um, can you talk about maybe your thoughts on, on Will Sanders and his first SEC start this past week? and? kind of uh, the approach there. And, and, and dude, I, I thought, to me, Julian Bosnick out of the pen um, may actually be a better fit for him at this point in his career anyway than, uh, you know, than maybe asking him to, to start on Sundays. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, Skyler Mead gets a lot of grief sometimes from fans and um, some of it warranted, but he played that bullpen outside of – what I thought leaving far and maybe a little too long on Friday night, he played the bullpen perfect and starter wise against Florida. So um, yeah, Sanders has been fantastic. Sanders, I mean, he was a guy that when the draft ended and he was coming to school, you got the sense that he could compete for a Sunday spot, the number two or number three spot in the, the rotation. And I mean, he is fantastic. A guy that, is effortless when the ball comes out of his hands and you look up and it's 95, 96 with plenty more in the tank over the course of his career. And if the draft wasn't five rounds and Thomas Farm, Brandon Jordan aren't at South Carolina, you can make the case that, you know, Will Sanders would have been your Friday or Saturday on in this rotation. And he's a guy that has first round potential over the course of his career. And uh, I've been thoroughly impressed with him all season from the games at Clemson, from, um, starting now and I mean he just he gives you something so different um, now and then as you look into the future and I think it would be cool for a guy who's from Georgia to get the start Sunday if they have to use Brett Carey and go out there and see what he can do against a team that you know he picks South Carolina over because he is a home state kid you know from the state of Georgia. Colin I want to sort of stay zoomed out there from, from not just the Georgia series but sort of broad big picture um, who are who are maybe a few guys off this Gamecocks team that have maybe surprised you with how maybe how quickly they progressed or how much more productive they've been relative to your standards or, or what you expected? And then here's something you know what Wes and I have, have sort of talked about maybe the the MVP or the most important player on this team at times. Um, Wes has brought up even Braylon Wimmer, right? Wes sometimes as being a guy that's been really integral to this team. Who would that one guy be for you? Be curious to get your take on that. The most shocking or most important player? Which one do you want? So it was a two-parter, and I probably asked it poorly. 
a few guys that have surprised you, you know, who have maybe stepped up relative to your expectations. And then the second part is the one guy who you'd say is maybe the MVP of this team so far. Yeah. Um, when you talk about surprises, it's probably Josiah Seitler, um, a guy that obviously struggled as a freshman, didn't get many opportunities last year before things got cut short, and is now your starting left fielder and batting third in the order. Um, just a guy that has really impressed me, had I think two doubles or at least one big double against Florida in game one, has played pretty well, and um, defensively isn't a liability out there, which is what you want from a power hitting lefty at the top of the order that you need to put somewhere. So um, I've been really impressed with him. Uh, I thought Braylon of Wimmer would be good. I didn't think he would be necessarily this good from just an all around standpoint as your you know second baseman or, or center fielder or wherever you're going to put him. Um, from the pitching side of things, um, Jack Mahoney has been fantastic. And I didn't necessarily think he'd be as high leverage a guy as, He's been so far, obviously had his struggles in the fall and, and some in the spring, but has been great. And then if you're talking about most important player, I mean, I see Colin Burgess down there and he's one of them, but Brady Allen is, I give Brady a lot of credit because he is someone, number one, weird and hilarious human being, but um, he just sets the table when he's on and getting on base and hitting for power the offense just kind of follows after that. And you saw that on you know, Sunday against Florida. And you saw that Tuesday against Garnett. And when he's doing well, I mean, he started things Sunday against Vanderbilt with that home run. Um, so when I think that when he's playing well, the offense tends to follow. Um, and then from a MVP of the pitching staff, I'd probably say Andy Peters. Um, just, I mean, outside of the starters are obviously really good. Uh, but Peters has been your swing man. He's done a lot of different and, great things um do these first you know couple weeks you just you just your brady allen picks too biased you just picked him because yeah no uh, yeah, he, he guessed up my ego last week and so i have to pick <laughs> him. Yeah. we we should have had that honestly the the producer of this show <laughs> drops the ball the producer yeah. of this show is very overpaid and uh <laughs> is awful because we should have led off colin's segment with that video yeah. um, of, uh, of Brady Allen, who uh, – Brady Allen is one of those guys, man, the more I've, like, actually paid attention, some of the stuff he comes up with kind of almost scares me. Like, his his brain just uh, – I think he processes things differently. Like, he comes up with things yeah. the rest of us do not. Um, but, Colin, I, I do have to ask, man. I, so, I don't know how many baseball games you've covered – since you started covering South Carolina baseball officially, but I know it's a lot. So in-person catches that you've witnessed, where does the Brady Allen catch against Florida? Um, Degree of difficulty, the addition of the context of what it meant within the game as well. Um, Where, where does it, where does it ride? Where does it sit? It's, I mean, recency bias, you know, recency bias here, but it's it's up there. Um, it's if not if it's not the best catch I've ever seen, it's up there, top five. Um, the one Saturday into the game where he was like running backwards and leaped and just stuck his glove out and came up with it was just as impressive too. So, um, yeah, I'd say it's up there. And, and Brady's been a fantastic center fielder, and I'm trying to gas up his ego now a little bit too after he complimented me the other day. Yeah, well, I doubt he's listening to our show, but if he is, he is going to like what he's hearing. And you know, I'll be, I'll be honest. I thought he was like a solid center fielder, but not a like dynamic center fielder. And he's been, he's been very good. And most impressively, would be his uh, sort of just reckless abandon to just go. A lot of people say they would throw themselves into the fence like that to catch a ball, but to actually go do it in the moment you know, with the game on the line, literally um, very, very impressive. And he's one of those guys to me that's just, you know, stuck it out in the program as a veteran, has had his ups and downs as far as his personal performance. And now, uh, you know, is playing very, very well as a veteran leader on this team. And if, if they make a run, he'll be a big reason for it. Um, so sorry, Chris, I guess it's your turn to talk again. 
I think I think it was actually your question, Terry. But I did, Colin. I'm looking actually through, so I'm putting you on the spot, and I hate when people do this to me. So yeah. I'm going to do it to you for a revenge. Um, did do you know what are Colin Burgess's runners caught stealing stats? Do we have a stat on that? We should. It's got to be somewhere like ninety nine point nine percent. I mean, it's it's up there. I think there's only been like three guys that have. On him. I can't find it, but I, I cannot think of many. I mean, he absolutely has been – I mean, he gunned down the one guy, absolute seed from his knee. I yeah. mean, he's been gunning out people left and right. And I think – I don't know if – I don't remember if it was that one or another one, I think in the Vandy series maybe, but he got a guy for the first time all season. He's been absolutely tremendous back there. All right, do you – all right, do we want to know? Of course, yeah. Yeah, we want to right. know. Okay. I'm looking at it. 11 of 20, but I think some of that's inflated. Um, he's in SEC play. The SEC play number is impressive. Um, seven guys have tried to steal on him. He's thrown out five of those. So that's um, it's pretty, pretty good. I'm good. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. pretty bad. I'm good. Pretty good. Yeah. He's one of the best. South Carolina's had their struggles the last couple of years in terms of just finding a consistent defensive catcher and, Burgess has been fantastic. And he's like the perfect, like he, everything you think of when you think of like a college catcher, just like short and grimy and tough and just like has this like hair that's like never been washed and a goatee or mustache. <laughs> it's just, you know, he's everything you think of in terms of like college catcher. Yeah. He, he's a dirt bag. Like, yeah. He's like a. Yeah. In in a completely complimentary way. Yeah, that, um, I didn't mean anything negative about what I just said. It's yeah. like a perfect college catcher for what Colin Burgess is. Colin, should I should I bust out my my nickname for Burgess? I don't know how many people. <laughs> I like it. I again, I'm too young to understand the reference. It may, it may miss the but we've got a lot of people in the chat that are in my and Chris's okay. age bracket. So we're gonna try. All, All right. right. Did, did anybody back in the day, and God, I hope y'all did. If not, maybe, maybe this was just like something that was in the vortex of my childhood. But I watched these movies probably a thousand times when I was a kid. Chris, did you watch the Three Ninjas movies when you were a kid? I saw them a couple of times. I didn't watch them that. Yeah, I saw them. Okay. So, somebody on the chat is going to go with me here. All right. The Three Ninjas movies, the youngest kid, his name was Tum Tum. And he was the shortest one. He always had like a Twizzlers candy in his mouth. And in the movie where they played on the baseball team, I can't remember if it was the first one or the second one or the third one. Uh, this was a highly regarded trilogy. Um, he He was the catcher and he'd be catching with – with like candy in his mouth and he was like the tiny, just sort of uh, tough, uh, ran his mouth. Um, he was the dude basically among the three. And to me watching him hobble around out there, him now being Burgess hobble around out there, be shorter than everybody else on the team, but probably the toughest guy on the field. Every time he does anything I'm like, that's my guy, Tum Tum. That's like all he needs is a Twizzler in his in his mouth, basically, yeah. and he's tum tum. Well, I think my uh, favorite Colin Burgess moment was like just speaking to that. With like, there was a moment in like late in the first Clemson game where some dude struck out. He got rung up looking, and he's arguing with the umpire. And Burgess is like two feet from him, like laughing and pointing at him to the dugout. Like, Get a load of this guy <laughs> the field, like to the dugout after the um, ring him up. My favorite one, and I did not notice it until the other day. You know how, um, what who is it? John Boy did yeah. the breakdown right of the Florida guy grabbing his yeah. you know stuff on the home run, and I did not notice until I'd watched it maybe a second or third time over there cackling at it that Burgess <laughs> had, had stepped back from the plate and it, like was was towards the pitcher's mound and was just staring the guy down the whole time. Yeah, it sounds like giving him a big stare down from third base to home, and it was almost like, okay, all right, if, if that's the route we're going to take there, and then obviously 
the rest is history. Yeah. So. I can't tell you how many words <laughs> said when Andrew Andrew Eister not only tied the game in the but tied it in the bottom of the 14th inning with two strikes and two outs in the middle of a five hour game that had me there until one thirty in the morning. Uh, I'm just, I'm very glad that South Carolina won that game three pitches later. And I didn't have to be there for seven and a half hours watching South Carolina and Florida play until four. Eight. No doubt. No doubt. So I, I do. I mean, I think we got a couple of people that are on board with me, not many, but a couple that are on board with me on the chat. I will say I also like about Colin Burgess. Um, <laughs> He very dirty mouth when he gets fired up from what I see on uh, on TV. But you gotta have that. You gotta have that guy. You got nope. to have that guy. He's the guy. If there is a brawl, um, maybe is not taking many people out because he is you know a little bit shorter. Which I can say that as a uh, verified short guy over here. But he's the guy that is like right out there in the front, agging on the brawl, and then that brings his his bigger friends and teammates into the mix. I, I think, but. He's going to have a he'll, he'll like kick some shins and, you know, <laughs> he'll, he'll scrap his way into, into a few. All right. Games. All right. That's where we're going to cut off the uh, short jokes right there. But, um, all right, Colin, let, let's, let's reel it back in South Carolina, Georgia this weekend. Um, what do Tum Tum and the Gamecocks need to do to get this weird Georgia, just uh, bad mojo off their back? And beat the Bulldogs because I I can tell you these Gamecock fans on Twitter, they've been very happy and excited for a couple of weeks now, but they can turn very quickly. So the season that baseball is a is a roller coaster, right? Um, what do they need to do to continue on the uh, positive side of this roller coaster? Take advantage. I mean, keep things up offensively. Uh, just keep doing what they're doing. I know I saw someone mention in the chat about the opposite field power, and they've been hitting the opposite field a lot and. That'll really play into their advantage this weekend. Like Georgia, Georgia's right field is such a short porch. Um, you are able to just tee off if you can get a ball up and, and go yard there. And um, that'll be big. I think getting more out of far on Friday nights. If they can win Friday night and you have two games with Brandon Jordan and then either Will Sanders or Brett Carey um, on Sunday – that's huge, and just keep doing what you're doing from a pitching staff standpoint. Keep going to the opposite field offensively. Um, play clean defense. I mean, all the stuff you hear every week, cliche stuff, but um, the offensive approach needs to stay as right where it is, and they should be pretty fine against Georgia, I think. Dude, uh, and uh, that's normally the final question, but I completely – this yeah. slipped my mind earlier. I got to ask. How how um, surprised were you by Thomas Farr's sort of the just loss of command um, out of nowhere on Friday? And I, I know he, you know, he sort of battled through it and and gave him a chance, which you give him credit for that. But that's not something I expected from him coming out, um, you know, as the Friday guy. Just I, I hadn't seen him do that in the past. Were you surprised by that? Any uh, was it just an off day or? Any explanation? Yeah, I mean, it just seemed like one of those off days for him. Um, I think he went out there really amped up, knowing how big that series was and the fact that this was his first home SEC series start. And he's an emotional guy to begin with. And I think that that emotion spilled over to the first inning and just you're not able to recover after that one for, I guess, 31-32 pitch first. Um, so I, you know, if it happens again tonight, then you might start to say you're a little concerned, but, um, far as proven on multiple occasions, how good of a pitcher he is, uh, shoved it down Clemson's throat. Same with Vanderbilt. Um, I'm confident that he'll be able to do something similar against Georgia. And if not, you have to start asking those questions. Colin, good stuff as always, man. We appreciate the time. Um, Hopefully your Cubs can win a game this weekend, and hopefully my Braves can as well, man. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Appreciate it, guys. All right, Colin Taylor, good stuff. As always, um, don't judge him by the fact he's a Cubs fan. You can judge him by the fact that he does a great job covering all South Carolina athletics on Gamecock Central. So um, good stuff from Colin. Enjoyed that as always. Final I don't know, five or ten minutes here of the show. You can throw some Friday questions at us if you want. Otherwise, we're going to roll on out of here and get ready for the weekend. Chris, uh, 
Any big takeaways for you uh, from the football media availability on, I guess that was Thursday now, offensive players talking. You know, my my takeaway was just we continue to learn a little bit more and more about this offense and the, the fact that, i tell you, a phrase that just kept coming up was, uh, was pro style. You know, they kept saying, hey, this is a pro style offense. Um, they're going to huddle at times. Now, I, I do think that this is an offense that is going to continue to be very multiple. I, I think they'll do a lot of different things, man. But um, they, they kept saying those words, pro-style offense, pro-style offense, which leads me to believe we're getting a little more maybe of that Joe Brady, um, you know, Panthers, NFL, uh, you know, type influence here. Then, then may, maybe even a little more of that than, than maybe people anticipated at the beginning. Yeah, and, and it's so interesting because – that was, you know, remember, Wes, before the spring, I think that was one of our, like, biggest questions to answer is just what is this offense going to look like? Now, we still haven't put our eyes on it. You know, we've had still one opportunity to see some practice. We'll see a lot more, I think, this preseason, but that's way later in the year. Have a few other opportunities this spring, and maybe we'll get some glimpses of, you know, things like formations or plays. Um, but now, just based on you know, what we've heard from some players, what we've heard some from other people that we talked to sort of behind the scenes is that, yeah, there, there are a lot of different concepts sort of being pulled from. And really, when you think about the pro-style offense nowadays, I think it's defined a little bit differently than it used to be. You know, like sometimes you used to think of a college offense as being this one type of system, pro-style being this other type of system. Nowadays, the really good teams, the really good offensive minds um, at the pro level, for instance, they are going to be mixing in a lot of different concepts from different places. You know, um, they're going to pull from college. They're going to pull from old playbooks. They're going to mix in a lot of different things. And so one thing that we've heard, Wes, we were talking about this the other day on the phone is, you know, they've studied a lot of NFL teams South Carolina has. So, yeah, there's there's Oklahoma stuff being pulled. Marcus Satterfield even talked about that. Obviously, there's a connection with Joe Brady, who's one of the bright young minds, proven production in the game, there's going to be some stuff from him because Marcus Satterfield worked from him. But there's a lot of other NFL teams that South Carolina studied and looping in some of those concepts as well. And and they've made no bones about the fact that they've thrown a lot at the players. So it seems like there's going to be, you know, some multiplicity of this offense and a lot of different things to loop in. Got a great question coming up from Greg here that we're going to get at. I'm, I want to get a little bit more football first and then we'll sort of finish it off. It is anything goes Friday, so uh, free for all Friday, I should say. Um, we just had so much other, uh, you know, type of things to talk about. But I, I would say, based on you know, and it's it's been three practices, and I, I know I even noticed this on our message board, Chris. People were asking, like, "Hey, what what's going on in practice? What's the di-? well?" South Carolina actually has taken; they haven't taken the week off. That's not uh, completely accurate, but they've dialed back as far as the schedule goes, the actual practices that were scheduled for this week in order to get guys, uh, you know, back healthy or guys maybe that were in protocol or what, whatever the reason is, they, they know it is very important to get these reps and they've had too many guys just banged up or in protocol or just sort of having to sit out um, for whatever reason. Um, I'm saying that very broadly. We don't know why certain guys are out or not out, but Getting reps for guys uh, is very important, obviously. So nothing has really happened this week that's new on the field, you know, comparatively to maybe the week before, three practices in. But I I think just based on comments, stock up Luke Doty. Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds like stock up Colton Gothier. I, I think he has impressed people with how quickly, you know, he has picked up this offense and been able to – process picking it up into physically doing it on the field you know and I think it it was it was kind of funny listening to Colton talk to the greater media for the first time how many little notes and comments and nuggets went back to the things he was saying when we talked to him you know on national signing day and the fact that the, the kid has had four different offenses four different schemes four different coaches that he played in at high school, that is not a recipe for, you know, developing 
uh, within a scheme or developing as a quarterback in general. So I, I think to have Satterfield there, uh, a guy that I, I do think will uh, will solidly be at South Carolina for some time, uh, you know, certainly if the offense performs well, um, you know, that that's going to be a positive for a guy like Colton Gothier. Um, you, you do sort of feel – you feel for Jason Brown because uh, he's not off to the start he wanted, but not – of any fault of his, he missed the first practice uh, with what was deemed, you know, an illness. And and now it's just sort of having to adjust from, you know, what they were calling more of a true spread to more of a pro style deal. I, I tend to think Chris, when, as you pointed out, pro pro style doesn't mean what it once did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, I think we, we think of pro style traditionally as being like under center, um, you know, a, a lot of what we saw from from Bobo last year was like a more traditional pro style type offense at times. I tend to think pro style in this sense, you're still spread out, um, but as they specifically said, you're going to huddle a lot of sort of the sort of the college spread stuff. You're not huddling. Lots of times, there's a faster tempo involved, maybe more RPOs, maybe a little more simplified, whereas in 2021, I think of pro style being you're still spread out, but there's a little more complexity to the route concepts that you're running. There's a little bit more complexity to the reads. Um, there's a little more depth a lot of times to your passing game, um, you know, as far as what you're doing on that side of the ball. Um, I'm sure RPOs will still be part of it. I'm sure if Luke Doty's the quarterback, the QB run game will be a part of it. But I think right now, as Satterfield said, they're focusing on the harder part, which is developing the the rhythm and the reads and the footwork and all this that's involved in this passing game. Yeah, and, you know, he, he talked the other day about, you know, narrowing down the playbook and what you take mm-hmm. into a game. But to, to build up the system of what South Carolina wants to be, obviously they're looping in a lot of different concepts and, you know, changing. And, and Marcus Satterfield and, and us, and of course, just talking about the offense and what it's going to be, you know, multiple. I mean, and that's that's in a lot of ways what you want to be, what you have to be nowadays. You want to be able to do everything. You want to have, ideally, you want to be able to run the football out of different looks, and you want to be able to pass the football downfield and in the short game, and you want to be able to have quarterback run elements. This coaching staff is still going to have to feel its way through that's what they're doing right now. A few practices into spring feeling their way through what these players can do best, but you're going to have a baseline of, you know, what you want to bring. And uh, the coaching staff from our understanding West still, you know, looking at a lot of different film on a lot of different teams who have had proven success on offense. And obviously Marcus Satterfield during his career has had some proven success as an OC as well, running different types of offenses based on where he's been, you know, he's had success and, and experience in different types of offenses as well. Yeah, and I, I will say, I'll be completely honest, the Satterfield hire was the, mo- the one that I knew the least about as far as being a little more wait and see when the hire was announced. Um, I will also say this, though, internally, the more I have heard from people who have been around him, from people who are in the building, from people who um, know about him more than just the press conference settings, they've been very impressed uh, I think passion was a word that that one of the QBs mentioned or one of the guys mentioned his passion, his love for football, but also just his knowledge of the game. This is a guy that um, eats, sleeps, drinks football and has done a really good job of teaching it to the kids. I I think um, the the open door policy they talk about on offense, the kids just being around the offensive staff all the time has to be considered a positive for, for South Carolina moving forward. And, you know, I've gone from more wait and see to more like, okay, this this will be interesting to see and uh, sort of um, kind of excited just to see what the scheme ends up looking like once they start paring down all these elements and, and trying to figure out what they absolutely do best. As I said, let's go back, Greg S., uh, dropping the five spot to us. Appreciate that, Greg. Um, he wants to know, and he's a 2015 grad. I wish I was still your age, Greg. Um, he makes it to South Carolina Every so often, he's coming down from Mizzou. What's a hole-in-the-wall, under-the-radar place to eat in Columbia now? Um, I will sit here and talk food with y'all 
all day, every yeah. day. Yep. Now, I don't know, Greg, if there's – I don't know if I can think of a new place for you. It was everywhere I can tell you is probably already here. I'll say true hole in the wall, the hole in the wall for me in Columbia would probably have to be the wig. Yep. And the wig has reopened now uh, because they they're literally like in a basement. So COVID was tough on them, I think, as far as having to uh, the, the protocols there. And, and, you know, that's not not a good place, uh, you know, during a pandemic. But I, I think you if you haven't been to the wig, go to the wig, get one of their burgers. They're really good. I've been on this place here recently, Chris, over on my side of town. I'm on the uh, Fort Jackson side of town um, called Tacos Nayari. It's on Percival Road. A little bit of a hole-in-the-wall taco place that is outstanding. I want to go there so bad. I drove by it. You know how you drive by a place and you know it's good just by looking at it? Yes. I saw that place, and I immediately cataloged it in my brain, and I've been you trying. Need, you need to check it out. It, it is good. And I'll, I'll throw one more. At Soda City, which, by the way, if you're going to be here on the weekend, go to Soda City. It's every it's every Saturday morning into the early afternoon now, and they have street vendors out there. There's a place called um, Thai Street Food. I think I think that's all. I think that's that's what that's on the the tent, and they have some of the best pad Thai I have ever had nice. in my life. Um, and it's just it's right out there on the street. Really cool, great spot for to grab some lunch. So uh, that that would be my three off the top recommendations. Uh, you got anything, Chris? Can you yeah, top that? So I don't know if I'll top it. So I, Greg probably won't like mine as much because obviously I'm more on the Ermo side of town. So I'm going to go with what I'm a little bit more familiar with. Don't get as downtown as much. I rely on West for my recommendations there. Um, not hole in the wall, but still small. Real Mexico is one you got to go to for Mexican food. You mentioned your taco place there, Wes, that I want to try, but real Mexico is absolutely incredible off of Bush River Road. So right off the interstate, close to downtown. And then another one out in Irmo is Fire and Spice. It is incredible. Um, it's in a little strip mall in Irmo on Woodrow. Uh, go there, get anything. Doesn't matter what you get. It's going to be good. They have jerk chicken. They have barbecue. They have a Cajun jerk chicken sub that is absolutely awesome. Anything you get there, fire and spice, check those guys out. That'd be my recommendation. And, uh, and no, no sponsors involved here either. These are complete uh, off the top, um, true recommendations. And let's see. Our buddy Lou Antonelli says, still hands are river at. And, and dude, I'll, I'll say this. All, all of the breweries um, I'm a fan of in Columbia. Columbia Craft, I really like their beer. Um, there's a new one I, I talked about actually a few weeks ago in West Columbia. Um, Savage Craft L Works. I was losing the name there for a second. Really cool venue. Uh Really like the out, outdoor sort of atmosphere area. But, yeah, Greg, I, I don't know, man. Hopefully that helps you a little bit. Those are some good ones. I'm trying to think off the top of my head if there's anywhere else new. Uh, Cinnamon Roll Deli is my spot for if you want, like, a breakfast sandwich. Very packed on Sundays, but they're good. And I'll tell you what, Upper Crest, not a hole in the wall, but go check out Upper Crest. They have great pizza. Um Probably, definitely one of my favorite sort of newer-ish pizza places in Columbia. There's certainly a lot of pizza I like here, but uh, one of uh, one of the better ones, I think. And yeah, Gamecock Rush, uh, Gamecock Russ. I agree. They should sponsor GC Live. Anybody listening involved with any of those companies or any companies, get up me and Chris. We do actually have a couple of sponsorship spots available. We don't take on just anybody. It's got to be like a fit. But if you are a listener or a watcher or a chatter, you know, hit us up. We, we can probably figure something out. All right, that's the hour mark. Chris, you got any closing thoughts, man? 
No closing thoughts, man. Looking forward to the weekend. Ought to be a fun one. Hope everybody enjoys it. Be safe. Enjoy the sports. Enjoy the family. Yep. Hey, y'all. Appreciate the support. As always, it's been a fun show. Hopefully, y'all agree with that. It's been fun for me. It's been fun for Chris. For Chris, I'm Wes. We'll see you all on Monday. And by then, we may actually be talking about another South Carolina Women's Basketball National Championship because if they win tonight, they'll be playing on Sunday. So by Monday, we'll already be able to talk about it. Uh, Hopefully, that'll happen for the Gamecocks, and hopefully we can talk about it on Monday. We'll see you then. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.